the Christian life offers unmatched personal blessings. But did you know it also holds the key to ending the world's racial, cultural, and social barriers? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Colossians chapter 3 and shares how belief in Christ ought to shape your life's priorities and purpose. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, what it means to be in Christ. You know, it's a wonderful truth, this in Christ truth that we're talking about means so very much, and not just in the future, but here today as well. One thing I always think about is when the enemy comes to accuse David Jeremiah before the father, the father says, well, you know, Satan, uh, my, my friend David Jeremiah is in Christ. He is clothed with the righteousness of my son, the Lord Jesus. So there is no criticism that can stand because Jesus Christ is perfect. And David Jeremiah is in Christ. And so are you if you know him as a personal Savior. We'll have uh, part two of that in today's lesson. And then tomorrow we're going to talk about the Christian's dress code. I don't want you to miss the next two days after today because that's a very interesting thing that Paul does to help us get our arms around some very practical truth. Uh, we're coming to your area if you live in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to be there October the 6th in the PNC Arena. That's a Thursday night for a Turning Point Rally. Uh, on the 13th of October, we'll be in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center. And then on Thursday, October the 20th in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. And Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York at KeyBank Center. I hope you will come and be with us. These events are free, but you have to have a ticket. And tickets are available from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. Go there and order your tickets and plan to be with us when we come to your community. Well, let's jump into this. Let's finish what we discussed yesterday. And this is part two of what it means to be in Christ. Paul's telling us, set our minds on heaven, but he's not telling us to forgo the physical challenges and chores of everyday life. God wants you to take care of earthly business. We live in this physical world. We should do everything, including everyday responsibilities, and do it as under the Lord. So it's okay to buy a car. It's okay to buy a house, certainly. It's okay to set your heart and mind on some things that you're looking forward to do, but don't let that be everything in your life. Don't let that become your God. Listen to the psalmist. You know, every once in a while you read a statement and you figure out, boy, he's got this together. The psalmist went through some tough times, as you know. He made some pretty serious mistakes. But listen to what he says in Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. David said, let me tell you what my heart is. Everything is in heaven, in my God. Who do I have in heaven beside you? And there's nobody on this earth that comes close to what you mean in my life. Along with these positive injunctions, we're given corresponding negative injunction, not things on earth. Don't let that get you off course. You know, you run into some people who read a little bit of the scripture, but they don't read it all. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody tells them, you know, set your things on heaven. So they don't go to the grocery store anymore. They don't take a bath anymore. They don't wash anymore. They don't wear new clothes anymore. What are you doing? Oh, I've got my eyes on heaven. 
that's not what the Bible says, and it's not what it means. In fact, Paul goes out of his way to say that's not what it means. So don't take it out of context. Well, in Christ, you're a new person. In Christ, you have a new perspective. As you give your energy to the things above, your priorities are going to change. And now we're going to get into some serious discussion here, folks. It's almost like Paul knew what our world would be like when we would read his letter. Now, he wrote the letter from Rome to the church in Colossae, and he knew what the church in Colossae was like because Epaphras had come and told him. And he was concerned that while they were worrying about all this false doctrine that was in the church, if they weren't careful, they would quit living the Christian life the way it was supposed to be lived. How many of you know you can get caught up in stuff like that? I know some people that spend their whole life studying this or that, And in the process, they don't take any time to live their Christian life, and they can become experts on something that it would be good for a Christian to know, but in the process, they lose their relationship with God. And we do that in our personal relationships, don't we? We love our spouses. We love them to death. We married them for that reason, but if we're not careful, we can get caught up maybe in some project at work or something we have a real desire to do, and we can get so focused on that Our personal relationships suffer. Maybe you're in that process right now. Let me just say something to you. Stop it. (laughs) So in Christ, you have new priorities. And he's going to give us four groups. We'll go through them quickly. Of things that should be true for us if we're believers. Now that we've been buried with Christ, raised with Christ, we have a new perspective. Now he says, therefore, verse 5. What is the word therefore? The word is therefore. So you will look back and find out what it's there for, right? (laughs) Therefore, because you're a new Christian, because you're a new believer, because you have a new perspective, therefore, there's a certain way you should live. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, even desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The first thing he says is you've got to develop some sexual discipline. In the Greek language, the phrase put to death is very strong. In fact, in some translations, the phrase is rendered mortify. Mortify, therefore, your members. And the word mortify is the word from which we get our English word mortician. When it comes to the sins of the flesh, we need to be spiritual morticians and bury them in the ground. So when Paul says we are to put our sins to death, he means to cease completely from activity with the implication of extreme measures taken to guarantee cessation, to stop completely, to cease completely, to stop doing it. We're to take off the garments of sin that linger when we become Christians and get rid of those garments and stop doing the old things that we used to do before Christ came to start the process of making us new. How many of you know when you get saved, everything doesn't immediately change for everybody? Sometimes there's a period of time when you have to grow in your faith, and little by little, they're like scales. They fall off of you. But Paul says you need to take note of the fact that when you become a Christian, if you're not careful, he actually mentions it here, you can actually live as if you weren't a Christian. You think that's true? I know lots of people who are that way. Do I think they're saved? Probably. Do I think they're happy? No. 
Because you can't be happy in Jesus when you're not following his instruction. In 1665, the great plague raged throughout the city of London. And those who could afford to leave the city, they left. And those who remained were living in terror. Because the people who remained in London did not know what caused the plague. The most elementary hygienic precautions thus were ignored. They didn't know what was causing it. And the city continued to send parcels of used clothing, often the property of the dead, to poorer relatives and relief agencies. Listen to this. Even clothes that were stripped off the bodies of the plague victims were collected and dispatched all over the country to help poor people who didn't have any clothing. So imagine a family getting this parcel and proudly and gratefully putting on clothes much better in quality and style to their usual everyday wear. They discovered that these attractive new garments had come from the plague houses. With what horror would they strip them off and consign them to the fire? It is with such horror that we should strip off the old man and his deeds. He has the plague. You don't want that in your life. As a Christian, just because Jesus has forgiven you all of your sins, that doesn't mean you don't have to deal with sin anymore. Can I get a witness? Everyone knows that. He's forgiven you of your sins, but some of those old things keep creeping back into your life. And if you're not careful, your whole Christian experience can be ruined because you don't deal with the things that Paul is talking about here. In verses 5 through 7, he gives the Colossians a list of five things they were to ruthlessly eliminate from their lives, followed by one reason they were to put those things to death. Listen to this. Fornication refers to sexual immorality in general. The word fornication comes from the word pornea, from which we get our word pornography. Uncleanness means lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. Passion describes a state of mind that excites sexual impurity. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite can always find opportunity to satisfy it. Evil desires just mean that, base evil desires. And attached to this list of sins is this warning. Listen to this. Paul said, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. What Paul is saying is this. When you do these things, you're doing the very things that put Christ on the cross. You're doing the very things that he came to die and save you from. And you're doing the very things that one day are going to be punished when God comes to judge this world. He's going to judge these things. Do you want to be in that category? Do you want to be doing the things that put Christ on the cross? Do you want to be doing the things that's causing him to come back? And with all of the judgment on this earth, you're a Christian. Why are these behaviors and desires to be put to death? Because they are the things that God hates and they are the things that make him angry. Paul reminds the Colossians of their past. He says, you were once filled and dominated with all this junk. You once walked in all kinds of sin, but no longer. God has changed you. He says, listen, as far as the position you have, you already are forgiven. You have died. You have been resurrected. You are new in Christ. That's your position. Here's something I learned some time ago that's really helped me with this. When I was growing up, when we'd have a testimony meeting on Sunday night, there was this one old lady who used to get up every time. She was a sweet woman, but she gave the same testimony every time she got up. And when she got up, I saw little kids mouthing her testimony before she said it. (laughs) I am saved, I am sanctified, and I am satisfied. Thank God. And she'd sit down. 
I knew what saved meant. I thought I knew what satisfied meant, but I never knew what sanctified meant until I got to seminary and I found out what sanctified is. Sanctification, listen to me carefully, is becoming in practice what you already are in position. God says that as a Christian, you have been buried with Christ. You have died with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You have risen with Christ. You are a new risen believer. Now, sanctification is acting like it. Go out and live like who you are. You're a child of God. Don't let the sins of the flesh corrupt your testimony. Don't let sexual immorality get into your spirit and destroy you. I do not know one person who's ever done that, who ever truly, totally gets back to the place where they were before it happened. Oh, you'll be forgiven and God restores. Thank him for that. Guard yourself against it. Paul says, put it to death. Take it out in the barn and shoot it. Don't ever let it happen again. I'm trying to help say this and not get nasty about it. I just, I want to say it in such a way because I love you guys and I want you to understand it. You cannot play with sexual sin. It's interesting to me that in this passage, all of the other sins we're going to talk about, we're told to put them off. This particular package of sins, we're told to put to death. It's no incident that when you study the Bible, the Bible says you're supposed to run from some things. And the Bible says, flee fornication. What does that mean? Run from it. Run from it as fast, like Joseph who ran out of Potiphar's wife's house. And the Bible says he ran out and left his coat in her hand because he didn't want to submit to her temptation. You cannot fight with this. You cannot play with it. You cannot make deals with it. You have to be ruthless. In the New Testament, we're told to crucify the flesh. You know what it means to crucify something? It's personal, it's permanent, and it's pitiless. So that's what I'm saying. When you crucify the flesh, that's what you do. You go after it and you put it to death. You say, well, how do I do that? You know what to do. If you're in a situation where you're likely to submit to some temptation, get out of that situation. Don't leave yourself vulnerable. You say, well, I can't. Yes, you can. And you would if you really were serious about doing what Paul says. Put it to death. Then there's mental discipline. He goes on to say in verse 5, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is subtle. Did you know that? Because it is violated totally in the mind. I read about a priest who said this. He said he'd been listening to confessions for over 50 years, and not one person in 50 years had ever confessed covetousness. Isn't that interesting? It's not something we confess. We probably don't even think it's a sin. But it is a sin. In the invisible violation that no one else sees. You and I can have our act completely together on the outside, but inside we can be agonizing, lusting, being consumed by the desire to have what someone else has. And isn't interesting that this is up next to the sexual sins because that's what sexual sin does. It causes somebody to covet another person's wife or husband, and then they get involved in immorality. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. As Paul named these sensual sins, he added covetousness, Covetousness is the sin of always wanting more, whether it be more things or more pleasures. The covetous person is never satisfied with what he has, and he is usually envious of what other people have. Covetousness is an attitude, and the Bible says in this text, it says it's idolatry. I mean, I was shocked when I read that again. I guess I didn't pick that up the first time around. The Bible says when you covet somebody else's stuff, that's idolatry. It's an attitude that is an enemy to the sufficiency of Christ. When you covet, you're saying by that, I don't think Christ is taking care of me. 
So I got to go take care of myself and get something somebody else has got. It is idolatry because it raises a rival object of worship. The writer of Hebrews says that we're to replace coveting with contentment. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with what you have. Coveting is idolatry, the worship of a false god. Contentment is praise, the worship of a true god. Sexual discipline, mental discipline, here's social discipline. Paul goes on in the next verse to say, but now you yourselves are to put all these things off. Take them off like they took off the clothes when they found out they were from the plague house. Put them off, and here's what you're supposed to put off. Anger and wrath and malice. Anger is a feeling of emotion that boils below the surface. Wrath is a sudden outburst of emotion that flares up and burns with intensity. Malice refers to getting even. Malice is what you do when you don't deal with the first two. When you let anger and wrath take over in your life, the next thing you know, you're trying to figure out a way to hurt somebody who's done something to you that you don't like. And then there's one last one, vocal discipline. Sexual discipline, verses 5 through 7. Mental discipline, verse 5 social discipline, verse 8, and vocal discipline. Listen to this. But now you yourselves are to put all these things off. Put them off. Take them off. These are bad clothing. Take them off. Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. In other words, you've already accepted Christ. You're already a Christian. Now start living like one. Don't let these old things that are part of your old life, the life that put Jesus on the cross and that's going to ultimately cause his wrath upon this world. Don't let that stuff be a part of your life. Be embarrassed that that stuff is still a part of your life. I know a lot of Christians who they're struggling with this, they're working on it, and they're embarrassed that it still shows up. How many know what I'm talking about? You think you got this stuff all together and all of a sudden something happens you didn't expect, takes you off guard, and you respond like the old man. Paul says you got to quit doing that. Blasphemy is defamation of character, slander. Don't slander other people. You know, there's not very many good things about what's happening in social media right now, but it does give you pause before you slander somebody on social media and you want to keep your job, right? I don't like it. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. And what's happening to a lot of people is really wrong. But I'll tell you what, it causes you pause before you write something that could come back and hurt you while you're trying to hurt somebody else. So don't do that. Don't slander. Filthy language refers to vulgarity. In your Christian life, you don't want to slander people, and you don't want to be filled with vulgarity. And then it says, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and then don't lie to one another. Those are three vocal disciplines we all need to develop as Christians. Finally, in verses 10 and 11, you have a new purpose. And here's what it says in verse 10. And you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaver-free, but Christ is all in all. Here's what he says. Paul just gave us the number one remedy to racism. Here's what he says. Christians live like Christians, and if you do, what will happen is racial barriers will be gone, Greek or Jew. Religious barriers will be gone, circumcised or uncircumcised. Cultural barriers will be gone, barbarians, Scythians. And social barriers will be gone, slave or free. Paul says when we live the life that we're supposed to live as Christians, we can even have an impact on culture. 
You know, a lot of Christians are getting caught up in all this ugliness that's going on in our country right now. We don't need to be there. We need to be forceful. We need to be strong in our conviction. But we're to be filled with grace and truth as Jesus was. Speak the truth in grace. And when we do that as believers, the Bible says we start breaking down barriers that have been built up around us, and all of a sudden, we're having an impact on culture. Do you know if every Christian who's a Christian in America started living like a Christian, there'd be a whole different situation that we have in this nation than we have right now. Christians have morphed into a world that they don't belong in. So let me just end it with this. Maybe your life is not the way it should be. Maybe you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but you hear me today, and I've been a little bit you know, back into that whole thing where if you're a pastor, you comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I've been doing a little affliction today. You know that. I don't have any choice. I'm teaching this book and this is what's in the book. I got to teach it. But it's good for us. And it just reminds us that if we get caught up in that and we become impure or unclean or greedy or angry, controlled by anger, maybe we're lying about things. Here's the point. Listen to me. Christ does not do any of those things. And you are in Christ. Are you with me? Christ doesn't lie. He's not angry. He doesn't have wrath. He doesn't accuse people of things. Christ doesn't do that. And since you're in Christ, you don't have to do it either. That's what the whole thing is about. You can take off all those habits and all those desires. And instead, each day, you can dress yourself with the new man. You can focus all your effort, all your attention on who you really are. You are a pure, clean, generous, patient, honest believer in Jesus Christ. Now, just live like that. And we end this sermon. We return to the beginning. You can't do that in your own strength. You need Christ in you to do that, don't you? I can't do that by myself. I need the Holy Spirit. I need Christ in me. In the first verses of chapter 3, we are reminded that we're with Christ and Christ is in us. Now at the end of these verses, we're reminded this is the last thing in the text. Christ is all in all. You say, can I do that? No, you can't do it, but Christ can. Why can't he? Because he's everything. He's sufficient. That's what it means. He's enough for everything you need to do in your life. He's enough. He will help you. There's no need to look elsewhere. He can save us from our sins, listen to me, and he can save us from ourselves. <laughs> Amen? And we need more of the second as believers than we do of the first. We need to be saved from ourselves. <laughs> Receive him and love him and follow him and worship him and fellowship with him and share him with everyone. You know why? Because he's above all. Hallelujah. And one day he's coming back and he will get the credit he deserves when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the takeaway from all of this is simple. One day he will be Lord over the universe. Right now, today, in this place, he wants to be Lord over you. Don't get so caught up in his lordship over the universe that you forget what it means to let him be Lord over you. He doesn't want to be resident in your life. He wants to be president in your life. He wants to be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. We're in Christ, and Christ is in us. That's the truth of these lessons that we're studying. And I'm glad you've come along to join with us as we wrap our minds and our hearts around Colossians. You can get a copy of the book that captures all of the truth of Colossians. It's contemporary. It's full of all the stories that we use to illustrate these truths. At the end of the book, there is a study section for each chapter that you can use in facilitating small groups. 
It's a 288-page book that you will use to really learn Colossians. We're delighted to send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift of support during the month of August. All you have to do is send your gift and say, Dr. J, please send me the book Christ Above All. It's never been offered before. It's only a few days off the press, but it's available to you right now for your August gift. Thank you so much for your support. It means a great deal to us, and we couldn't do what we do without you. Don't forget we have a wonderful magazine that we make available to you. If you're not getting it now, I hope you will take advantage of this opportunity to order your copy of Turning Points Magazine and Devotional. It's mailed to homes every month, and we have over 500,000 people who read this magazine now monthly. You can also download the devotional content uh, from the magazine into your own inbox and have it fresh for you every day. Learn more about it by going to davidjeremiah.org. See you tomorrow. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. An elderly African woman faithfully tithed to the Lord from her income selling bean cakes in the market. She decided to begin giving the Lord one-third of her income instead of one-tenth. 
Her goal was to make three shillings each week from her sales. On Tuesday, the woman brought one shilling to the local missionary who was surprised that she had sold three shillings worth already. She explained that she had only sold one shilling's worth. She was just bringing the first of her income to the Lord. That dear saint was simply following the biblical pattern of giving God by faith the first and the best. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plan for giving on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.